Hello, it's Painter Sharpless with the Locked On Ole Miss podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about the dynamic between Lane Kiffin, yes, and Mike Leach, what the next few years could look like and what their pasts have meant and how that's going to shape some of what is a very uncertain first year for them both as they're adjusting culture, certainly philosophy on offense, and what recruiting down the line might mean and how their differences there uh, will impact, I think, the success and expectations that the fan bases have. We'll dip into the past just a bit and certainly look ahead to the future. I enjoyed this one. Give me your feedback. At Paint Sharpless, would love to hear from you guys. Of course, rate, review, subscribe. That helps us out so we can keep bringing you all the Ole Miss sports content content that you want every day. So without any more chatter, let's dive in. But first, a word from the folks who make this podcast possible. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Ole Miss Podcast. Your team every day. Have a little something different for you on Thursday. We'll be dropping two podcasts since we did not have one Monday. Had something come up, so we'll get we'll get you caught up on uh, on Thursday. How's that sound? All right, this is going on Wednesday, though. Looking forward to Thursday's podcast. I'll talk to Blake Lovell, who covers SEC hoops, and also, incidentally, works with the Locked On Podcast Network. So if you're looking for some SEC-wide content, Blake Lovell, has you covered. He's at the Blake level on Twitter. So that's coming up. But for now, wow, Painter, what have you got in store? Well, we've already talked about that in the preview. So let's just dive right in. You know what? Let's do that, Painter. It is safe to say that with the firings, plural, of your boy, Matt Luke and Joe Moorhead, both of who, whom? Landed on their feet, Oregon for Moorhead, as many of you will remember. And I think that's going to work out very nicely, by the way. Not just for Moorhead. Cristobal's out, out recruiting everyone there, and they're going to win in the, the line of scrimmage. Uh, if there's a team that I think could join the ranks, hear me out. Hear me out. Had some air in my, had some air in my tummy. Excuse me. Mario Cristobal, I think, could lock down the western side of the country because, quite frankly, there's not a lot of competition, and he's recruiting at a high enough level and going to, I think, win at the line of scrimmage, especially on the defensive line, offensive line. That's his area of expertise. He was an offensive line coach. Uh, They're going to do that, and he's going to have quarterbacks like Justin Herbert. With the competition they have, no more Chris Peterson out in Washington. USC's in a mess. I know Clay Helton has another year. Sort of seems like they're limping around until they can try to hire James Franklin or Urban Meyer. Anyway, watch out for Urban Meyer to uh, to Notre Dame. And by the way, 
By the way, I know James Franklin just re-upped with uh, Penn State. That doesn't mean he can't go to Southern Cal next year, folks. So that said, now that we've established a lot about Mario Cristobal, and I've certainly gotten a little bit off the beaten path here. Oh, yes, I was rambling about Joe Moorhead landing on his feet, and he will. I think that's going to work out very well. I think that that could be a team, as I just said a moment ago, that could assert itself consistently into the playoffs if they can get their act together. Anyway, if you're at Georgia, you're doing fine, Matt Luke. And quite frankly, did he ever think that this was the long-term plan? He could have felt like he was the right guy for the job, and he might have been. However, I don't think anyone was inspired by that, and certainly I don't think not making a bowl game and losing in that manner was inspiring, but I digress. Also, it's worth noting, I think he did do a good job of being a placeholder, and I do not mean that with shade. Like, he did an admirable job recruiting considering the circumstances and representing the school that was going through uh, at least what is a bad PR, I think, overblown when you consider the amount of money the NCAA actually makes on this and is unwilling to share with people like Tunsil, all right? But uh, Hugh Freeze, the personal stuff, well, that's a different story. Don't really care that much, uh, quite frankly. It's not my business, but I understand a uh, few things. One, you know, you brand yourself as a family guy, and that's not exactly that image. And then also, like, there are actually families to think about here, or a family, anyway. And undoubtedly, that was embarrassing and hard. So, uh, landing on their feet. Now you've got Matt Luke in the East, likely to win some, some division titles as an offensive line coach there. Joe Moorhead likely to win some uh, some titles of his own, so long as those two assistant coaches stick to those programs and in comes the new life lane Kiffin. My goodness, Mike Leach enters the fold as well. And suddenly you've got what could be the most exciting six win teams in all of college football in one state. I mean, does it get any better than that painter? Really? When you think about it, let's go through a little timeline courtesy of Chris Lowe and Mark Schlebaugh at ESPN. All right, what happened here? What happened less than a week after Keith Carter fired Matt Luke? The school hired Kiffin, who won a pair of Conference USA championships. Worth noting that middle year was not great. However, the rest of the time was good. Also, worth noting, Tennessee and USC did not go well. Infamously left on the tarmac. But, oh, what a different lifetime that seems to be. He's the new Lane Kiffin, the mature, albeit still outspoken, but... um. More sophisticated, I think, is how you would put it after his time with Nick Saban. I wonder what Saban thinks about that. Undoubtedly, that will be one of the most talked about games of the week this this season. The old mentor, I don't know, what is it, pupil? Kiffin was, of course, a candidate at Arkansas because Chad Morris is now at Auburn. And Arkansas fans are pretty salty about that. I think you should know there was a lot of... A lot of blame to go around. It was bad two years under Morris. I get it, but you guys are haters. Mike Norvell, Gus Malzahn weren't interested. So, Georgia O-line coach Sam Pittman moves into town. Arkansas has their new guy, and Kiffin goes to Ole Miss. Two days after Pittman leaves, Georgia coach Kirby Smart hired Matt Luke as his team's offensive line coach, and a well-received hire. How much of that is because, one, he's just a good coach, and two, I think people felt kind of bad for the guy, you know? I mean, what a what a mess to inherit and did an okay job. I mean, you know, 
I'd say medium okay. Like at least he did fine recruiting and given the circumstances again. And, you know, the record is about what people expected. It wasn't, I wouldn't say he overachieved. Moorhead, who did appear to be safe after winning the Egg Bowl, there was the fiasco that wasn't talked a lot about. Uh, they not only lost the bowl game, I forget the player who punched Schrader, but not great. Didn't look like that was headed in the right direction. And whether or not that really tipped the scales, it certainly put some, shed some weird light on what had been a disappointing couple of seasons. Very short two years for Joe Moorhead. And quite frankly, now in, in retrospect, and even at the beginning, a lot of people were just, yeah, not not just in retrospect, a lot of people were confused about how this was going to work because he was a Northeastern guy. And I guess you could say the same thing about out West, but Cristobal's staff's doing such a good job recruiting. Like, it, I think they'll be fine. But again, like he didn't really, as a head coach, have any big relationships that he could lean on down in the Southeast. It's a little bit different when you're a coordinator like you are at Penn State or now at Oregon. So... Moorhead, who looked safe, was fired four days after losing to Louisville 38-28. What a season they had, by the way. Talk about overachieving. And the Franklin American Mortgage Music City Bowl. That's a mouthful. They were 6-7 and seven in his second season. Now, remember, did beat his rival in both those years, 2-0. and oh. So, it's a cruel world, but the expectations were sky high, especially the first year with the team he inherited, courtesy of Dan Mullen. So, six days later... The Bulldogs find Mike Leach, who'd interviewed at Arkansas. Uh, remember, Joe Judge was initially thought to be a, a prominent name, but he uh, went to be the New York Giants head coach. So an absolute Yahtzee move. So Leach got in the conversation and, of course, stuck from there. Look, he took Texas Tech and Washington State, got them to eight, nine wins in a bunch of seasons. There were some bad years there, too, but those have been extremely obscure, irrelevant programs, and he has made them relevant and been able to do it without top talent. So it's, I think, a slam dunk hire in both cases. And quite frankly, what you're looking at more years than not, at least I think in the in the first four seasons, definitely the first three, is six and seven win years. If you get to eight wins, if you're Ole Miss by year two or three, I think that's fine, especially year two. Like I said, I see seven wins when I look at this from from far out. And that seventh win means that you beat your rival for the first time in a couple of seasons, and you got to steal one. I think you're stealing it in College Station. I think there's too much, too many expectations for Jimbo Fisher when Kellen Mond is still your quarterback. Some people will point to that Auburn game. I just think that the roster is too talented. And look, Jimbo Fisher has been recruiting well. I mentioned it recently. No shortage of resources for A and M. But the the first two seasons, and and I you know for Kiffin and for Leach, both have five, six wins written all over it. And like I said, I think you've got an overachieving season in year one with Lane Kiffin. I'm optimistic. They'll beat their rival, that they'll win the, the opener, which is going to be weird. Like, how's that going to look if practice is shortened? Because Baylor's coming off of a weird season, too, where Matt Rule didn't have the best talent, but he outcoached a lot of people. And what experience they had is gone. So like it's a reload at Baylor in many ways too. And these shortened practices for new staffs will make that first game even more of a question mark and sort of an unknown. But like I've, I've reiterated, I think it's a good first year and a good first year is only seven wins. It's not, it's not blowing anything, blowing anything out of the water, but it is upsetting someone and it is looking better down the stretch. It is looking like an improved team that with more talent and experience could cause some chaos 
and in the right situation with the right quarterback and perhaps even the right defensive line, you could find yourself every you know four years, if you're getting double-digit wins and upsetting some teams, certainly if you got to a New Year's Bowl, like, come on. You're starting to get into pretty great territory. I don't see that happening for Leach. Like, I think that you could see that team this year with some of the players they have and Costello coming in from Stanford. Like, they're going to throw it at least 70% of the time, and it's just going to be a headache for defensive coordinators. They'll never have the best talent, so doing something drastically different is a great move for for Mississippi State because he's not going to be like Kiffin where I think he can wrangle in some top prospects from time to time. He might be able to get in a quarterback just based on his reputation. But a lot of times, I mean, when you look at the guys he's had a lot of success with, they've been mildly recruited players that he just, he makes them work. Look at Minshew's the the most recent example you're probably all thinking about right now. But I see it being a few seasons before he, like it's either this year that Leach can surprise us and get to eight wins and then it's going to go cold for a couple of seasons. I, I think it's going to be tough for them depending on what they do at quarterback after they get this year out of Costello. Like I've, I see five or, or six wins for them in year two easily. Now that's projecting something with a lot of unknowns. Like we don't even know what these teams will look like at the beginning of the year when there's, again, more unknown and uncertainty because of how practice has been pushed back. And so like it seems a little bit, not even a little bit, it seems ridiculously futile and, you know, whatever to predict what's going to happen in year two under Leach. But I could see them taking a step back is what I'm getting at. So I'll say this, some excitement, I think, is what I expect. Some innovation. Two coaches giving some SEC uh, coordinators, some defensive coordinators a headache. You know Leach will. I think there will be better talent in Oxford, especially after three seasons. Like by year three, I think you're looking at those recruiting relationships being developed by Kiffin and using some of the staff and the name ID and the charisma and what he's done in the past and, and some of the places he's coached in the past, lean on that. Like, there's clout in standing with the clipboard next to Nick Saban. It works. I mean, to an extent, anyway. It can only get you so far. But at least there's it's where there's name ID with that. We all talk about Saban's assistance. Ultimately, I like the Kiffin hire more. But I think that has more to do with what Ole Miss is offering and that I think they'll recruit better players down the line. And that I don't think that recruiting top flight players has ever been a part of Leach's strategy. He finds, I guess you'd say, quote, you know, his guys, which what like isn't that what every coach is doing? But I understand what people mean when they say that. They're they're usually not highly recruited players, and they fit what it is in that odd air raid that is so effective many years. But it'll be a different task. Like you're not competing in the Pac-12, and I know that that's perhaps the most obvious and unanalytical thing that I could offer you, but. It is going to be exponentially harder to deliver results and overachieve where there is such abundant talent when you look at Alabama and LSU and Georgia, Florida, Auburn, A&M's there now. Tennessee is close. Like If if Pruitt continues to recruit like that, he's going to continue to recruit and probably will at a top 12 level, certainly top 15. So it's like that's going to be tough to overcome. I think it seems more doable in the two previous conferences he won in. And I think it's possible here, but that's why I think getting to eight wins in year two, three, maybe even four could be really tough for Leach. But if they're patient, I don't know if state fans will be, you know, give them seven to 10 years. And I think you could see some of what 
you saw him do successfully at Washington State, which is like winning eight or nine games in a bunch of years and occasionally getting to 10. I, I think 10 seems pretty unlikely, actually, in this division of college football, but like I, I don't think it's impossible if you gave him eight years that you could see that happen where there's just finally enough time and, and he doesn't ever get to a good, even a really like all that great of a level of recruiting when you're comparing it to a bunch of teams in the top 15, but the steadiness and continuity of it comes together. Like that's not impossible, but it's just, I don't know how patient they're going to be with that. So that's where I think there's some concern is he's just not going to embrace recruiting the same level of talent that Kiffin will. I don't think that's been in his past a thing. And I don't think he's going to change that now. So also will Mississippi state fans be okay with him just actively not being concerned about, and, you know, I think there's a line of logic that says, well, State, you know, you're not going to be able to recruit at that level, so you should embrace this and really go, like, lean into the fact that you're just not going to win recruiting battles often unless a guy's really loyal to, an, you know, he's an in-state prospect. And so that brings us back around to Kiffin and his staff. I said Kiffin weird there. But that brings us back around to their staff and I think a much higher ceiling to recruit and actually win some battles from time to time. And if you can take advantage of what has been this year, it's not as much, but the previous two recruiting cycles, two of the better recruiting cycles ever, at least since we've been recording, you know, the last 20 or so years, this modern era of recruiting, if you will, where there have been sites and people tracking it. Like if that continues and Kiffin can do what I think he will, which is keep some of those guys in state, especially by year three. He's already got some good quarterbacks to work with, and there's some continuity on offense. It's just I think there's going to be a real deficiency on their line, on the defensive side of the ball, and on, I mean, in the backfield, there's some holes too. The linebacker core looks all right, but like how how much is that defense going to cost them, and just how good can the offense be by the midway point of the season? And really, you don't have to the middle of the season when you look at the schedule because it's pretty hellish come week three and on. And Baylor's no, you know, there it's it's shrouded in some mystery as to what both those teams will look like because of their new look staffs and their reloading at a lot of position groups. But that's definitely not a gimme for either team, right? So it's in my optimistic outlook, getting away from recruiting for a moment, like I'm banking on Ole Miss's talent winning out in whatever situation when we get to that opener and then banking on what will likely be another close Egg Bowl and Ole Miss stealing once. There's a lot that has to go right at the beginning and the end of the season, and then they just have to live up to whatever standard, whatever baseline standard I've got them at where they're going to lose to most of the teams in the SEC West, quite frankly. But, like, can you just beat Arkansas and Mississippi State? But year three, I think, is the one where you're going, there's some potential here. And maybe this year, you know, if they're innovative enough, like things could get wild, but I, I just, I don't think the talent's there for them to get to eight wins this season. I don't, I don't think no matter how innovative you are, there's just enough of a deficiency between LSU, Alabama, A&M and Auburn that you're fortunate if you can steal one of those, anything beyond that. And I'm, you've done a, a heck of a job in year one lane, Kevin. So it's possible. Yeah. But I wouldn't count on it. Like feel good about taking one from any of those four teams in front of you in the sec West. And then just, building those relationships. It's something that we've heard the players and recruits discuss and 
They seem to like the air of the air of the, not the era, the air about this coaching staff, the air of themselves. All right. That's going to do it. Look, I have one other thing to say. I know you guys have probably seen if you are on social media, the Ole Miss email, I'm no, I'm not trying to like poop on development officers and fundraisers because they're super important to what universities are doing, even though some people associate them with being slimy. I don't think that's the case. And I think it's unfair Gift planning is definitely important. This was the wrong way to go about it. I'm curious to see if we get more details on whether this was scheduled a while back and no one thought about it or if they just weren't real clear about how it would come off. But if you're not aware of what this is, it is a gift planning message from the University of Mississippi Development, and it was addressed to someone named Timothy. Dear Timothy, there is a common expression that, quote, change is the only constant in life, end quote. We often experience this with our careers, our residences, and even our families. Sometimes situations change around us and developments in our health laws and or the financial landscape present new challenges. All right. (laughs) In those times, it is beneficial to consider revisiting the content of your will, especially if it is designed years ago and now needs attention. Just like your home, your estate plan needs regular maintenance to reflect situations and circumstances you face. By adding a bequest in your will, you you guarantee that the priorities in your life are matched to your legacy. Also, by expressing the philanthropic priorities of your life, you can continue investing in the students, faculty, mission, and values of the University of Mississippi. Ah, yes, a rich history. A bequest include, included as a provision in your will is the simplest, most efficient way to distribute your estate. If providing future generations with educational, it goes on to say a bunch of other stuff. That is, in fact, true. Just the timing. Like, read the room during a pandemic, hitting people up to be like, and in the event you die, make sure you leave a little bit for us, all right? We want a little money. Like, that actually isn't bad advice generally, what they said. It's just maybe came across as insensitive. I'd like to know. Maybe there's been an, uh, an explanation. I just have not gotten wind of it yet, but... Was this plan, were they doing this because of the coronavirus? Was it done beforehand and it just went out and no one thought about the timing of it? Why wasn't anyone thinking about the timing of it? I don't know. These are big departments. You would think that someone would, but you know what? Things do slip through the cracks. So I want to give people benefit of the doubt, but I also want to laugh at them for what otherwise could appear to be, at worst, a really callous, (laughs) but I guess, timely reminder? And at best, a lack of self-awareness. So, shout out to uh, development. There are some actually fantastic, not actually, just there are. You don't have to qualify it, Painter. They do important work. We don't want them to feel like they're uh, they're being attacked here. I, I just, I thought it was worth laughing at you just a little bit. I, I try to laugh at myself, and I'll try to do that tomorrow because we've got your team every day. Like I said, two podcasts coming up. Look out for that. I'll talk to Blake Lovell, but until then, y'all be easy. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.